I would say that like, if you are someone who is a woman in business, or if you are someone who is considering business, find that support system around you. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Small Minded Podcast. I'm so excited to start the month with you as today is March 1st, right? And now I'm like panicked and double checking my calendar. But this not only marks a fresh start, a new month, but it also marks the beginning of Women's History Month, which I always love to commemorate. Way back when I was in seventh grade in the early 2000s, I remember having a middle school teacher and we all had to pick a woman that we admired and write a research paper on this woman's life and her achievements. And not surprisingly, I loved this project. Like if you've been listening at any length of time, you know that A, I love a kick-ass woman and B, I love like research papers. My little early English teacher heart, I think was starting to emerge in this assignment. And I remember like, This is back in the day before we had a lot of like internet resources. And so we went to the school library and we sought out the books on our topic and you had to go to the encyclopedia and you had to take notes on little note cards. And I remember I had these awesome like Bic pens and they were in a variety of colors. There was like purple, light blue, green, and pink. I hated the light green, but I like color coded my notes in the rest of those colors. And I remember putting little numbers on the note card. So it would correspond with the bibliography card and uh, the memories. And I know a lot of you listening right now are like zoning out, eyes are glazing over. You're like, that sounds awful. But to me, it's like a fond memory because it was such a cool thing. And as a cool um, task that I just remember when I look back on my early education, but all of that is to say, I just I've always really liked commemorating Women's History Month in March to honor what women have accomplished and all of the progress we've made and all that we still have to do. So I thought, why not commemorate the month here on the podcast too? And this will be the first episode in a series of episodes all about really just how awesome women are. And how a lot of times women in our small communities are not only building these amazing businesses, but they're doing it at the same time as they are volunteering on school board or participating in the local chamber of commerce or spearheading activities and fundraisers or raising families or maintaining households or going home and like doing their bills and all of the like household tasks that accompany life. And I just am really blown away by the versatility of women and their stick to And it doesn't take long to just look around at my circle, and I hope the same for you, and see like in small and large ways all the awesome things that women are accomplishing. 
not long ago, well, like probably two years at this point, but I remember I was in conversation with someone in our community here in Cascade and I kind of was just, I had to, in my head, write down like, we were listing out businesses in our community. And in my head, I was going down Main Street. And I don't know if you guys have this too, but like, I can go like street by street and business by business and be like, okay, who owns this business? Who owns this business, et cetera. And so I was doing that. And as I was like going through and making sure we had the contacts for people in our Main Street businesses, it came to me that a large majority of our small town businesses here in Cascade were women owned, especially our main street businesses and retailers. And as I went from building to building, business to business, just in my head, I was like, 75% of these businesses are either exclusively owned by women or managed by women, which I feel is a huge thing. And in our town, And I know every town is different, but a lot of attention gets drawn to our um, industrial park because we have a pretty vibrant manufacturing sector. And some of these larger businesses that have been around for years, they might get more attention simply because of the scale that they work at. So they're making a large amount of product. And so they're shipping it out the door. And a lot of those businesses are family owned. But I don't want to neglect our Main Street retailers who, and like restaurants and eateries and service providers and highlight like how cool it is that a lot of those are women-owned and women-managed, which got me thinking and is kind of the impetus of this episode. Is that similar to the demographics nationwide? Is that indicative of the progress we've made as women? Has that changed as a result of COVID and workforce shortage? And so I did a little bit of research and I wanted to just share today some facts and some figures with you about women in business, about how that impacts our local economies, how that drives our state economies. And then I want to flip that on its head and talk about how women are a lot of times responsible for a large percentage of the mental load in their households and what that might do for us now in these post-COVID times too. So today is going to be like a lot of just sharing information and research that I've found about women in the state of women in 2022. And that will launch us into these upcoming episodes in March where I sit down with women individually that I think are just freaking awesome. And we're going to chat with them about their businesses. Um, So you have like a whole slate of episodes to be excited about because Honestly, one is just as exciting as the next, and I'm so excited. Um, Okay, but let's dig in a little bit more. So there are, let's see, I did some research and I found a website by the National Association of Women Business Owners, and the information that they presented was from 2019. Now that seems relatively recent, right? But we know that like in the span of 2019 to early 2020, like the world was uh, just thrown off its axis almost with COVID and the pandemic. So these numbers are from 2019. They were um, very helpful, I think, in framing what I know, but also we have to take it with a grain of salt saying that like these might not be accurate anymore. So as of the National Association of Women Business Owners in 2019, more than 11.6 million businesses were owned by women in the United States, which is huge. That's awesome. And of these 11.6 million businesses, they employed 9 million people. So how is that? Like some women might own multiple businesses or have 
like DBA is doing business as, right? These 11.6 million businesses generated $1.7 trillion in sales as of 2017. And women-owned businesses account for 39% of all privately held firms, businesses, and contribute to 8% of employment and 4.2% of revenues. So these are exciting numbers, right? When you take them at surface level. But when we dig in a little bit deeper, I love looking at these percentages because I'm like, okay, they're 39% of firms, but they contribute 8% to employment and 4.2% of revenues, which indicates to me that a lot of these businesses are sole proprietorships or women working independently. And like, we have some room to grow as far as revenue and share of the economy, right? And then I dug a little bit deeper. And in this report, it went into a little bit more about demographics of these women-owned businesses. So 5.4 million women businesses are owned majority by women of color. So a little less than half of the overall total of women-owned businesses in the U.S. They employ 2.1 million people and generate $361 billion. So of the $1.7 trillion generated in 2017 by all women-owned businesses, $361 billion were generated by businesses majority owned by women of color. So we have a lot of space to work with. We have a lot of ways to still grow and make progress in this idea of women in business. But the progress is happening because then I did a little bit more digging and I went to an article by legaljobs.io and I found some really interesting statistics that I'm just going to kind of share with you and then we'll kind of unpack that in a second. Hey there, listener. In today's episode and in recent episodes of Small Minded, you've been hearing about the importance of surrounding yourself with support if you are a female entrepreneur or small business owner. Now, at MKM, we are really going to hit the ground running with this concept. And in the spring, we are going to have two opportunities for female business owners to grow their businesses in new ways. Our first opportunity is one that you've heard of. It's our signature MKM Social School. Our next round of Social School opens in early April, and we are going to really double down on sticking to the social media foundations you need to advertise and grow your business online. You'll still get monthly topics of focus, trainings, content calendars, templates, Q&A sessions, all the goods to help you market your business better online using social media. Then, also launching in April, is our new MKM Business School Mastermind. This is for the business owner who is in years two through seven, who is looking for that something, that intangible next step, where we know we have growth, we know we have opportunity, but we're just not sure how to get there. So with this business school mastermind, we are going to have a circle of support for your female-owned business. We're going to bring in monthly experts in various areas. So we might talk about social media. We might talk about marketing, but we also might talk about productivity. We might talk about systems and organization. We might talk about hiring. We might bring in tax experts or insurance experts or any host of experts that aren't me. (laughs) Because the goal of this mastermind is to help those business owners that are in the second phase of business growth 
and give them an opportunity and a place to find inspiration, answers, and community as they grow their small business in a host of ways in 2022. Now, if either of these sounds like what you've been looking for, head to bit.ly slash mkmspring. Again, that's bit.ly slash mkmspring. And you can drop your email address as well as indicate if you are more interested in hearing about social school or business school. And we will make sure to get you all the goods as they are released throughout the next few weeks. Again, that's bit.ly slash mkmspring for our upcoming MKM Spring Business Growth Programs. So as of legaljobs.io, this was a more recent study. I think it was reported in 2021. So in 2020, then, 47% of women started a business compared to 44% of men. In their study, it was revealed that most women step into the world of entrepreneurship as a way to pursue a passion, saying that that was their main motivation for deciding to make that leap and begin their own business. The second reason that they started their business was attributed to financial independence with 43% of women in the study saying that that was their reason for starting. And then having time flexibility was the third most response with 41% of women saying that that's why they decided to start their own business, which I can totally relate to. Having a passion, having financial independence and having your own like control over your salary and how much you make and what your worth is, and then having flexibility in your time. I know all three of those things were important when I started my own business, because when we think about women in the workplace, and I'm thinking traditionally in my small town, a lot of women, like, you know, we start off with having these roles in our businesses or in the companies that we join. And then as we grow older, we might see that we have skills in other areas and we might stumble into this passion or this hobby and decide that we want to take it to the next level and begin a business. And I know that for me in particular, that happened when I started my social media business. I did not know that this thing that I was good at and that this thing that I enjoyed, social media and marketing, was something that I could turn into an actual thriving business for my family that could supplement our income and give me the flexibility to work from home. Because I don't know about you guys, but once I started having kids, my time was stretched so thin. Um, when I was teaching, you know, Teaching is kind of its own bear, that whole framework, but you would teach for eight hours and then you'd have to go after school to plan and prepare your lesson for the next day. So like make copies or get the materials that you need, or just even think through the process of your lesson. And for me in particular, I was teaching four or five different classes, like 15 to 30 students in each of those classes. And so you have to have some prep time to get yourself ready for the kids when they entered your classroom the next day. In addition, you might have meetings for IEPs or your building meetings, things like that, that happen outside of the regular school day. Plus, if I had to grade papers or get tests handed back, anything like that, that was also done outside of the regular school day because I did have a prep period, but those prep periods go really fast. And sometimes I just needed like to decompress after being like speaking in front of a class for most of the day. So for me, once I had one kid, you know, it was manageable to have that schedule. And 
it was a little more flexible with daycare because we had an in-home provider with our first child. By the time we had our second kid and shortly thereafter our third, we were in a, a daycare center setting, which was a little bit more expensive. And it was just harder for me as a mom to get out of school, pick up my kids. I had two kids to like prepare food and then bottles for, get naps, get everybody bathed and in bed at the same time. And my husband was a farmer, so he was seasonally available, but in certain seasons like spring and fall, it was a majority on my shoulders to do that. And so just in my story, that's anecdotal, but the time factor and the flexibility of being at home was huge. Now, in my story individually, I didn't go directly from teaching to entrepreneurship, right? I had a couple of years in between there where I was a stay-at-home mom, just kind of supplementing income here and there with substitute teaching, things like that. But flexibility and time and just the freedom that that allows me as a mom is something that I don't know if I could go back to a structured work environment solely because I need that time flexibility. Like just last week, my husband and I had an instance where he got sick and our daughter has therapy on Thursday mornings. And I turned to him like after I had, like he usually does the Thursday morning therapy run. So it's like a half hour drive to Dubuque. Therapy is 45 minutes. Um, Typically we have like one errand to run while we're in town and then we have to drive back. So because he was sick, he wasn't able to do that. And I didn't have any meetings that morning. So I was like, I'll just take her. It's no big deal. And after I got back, we talked and I was like, you know, we're really lucky that I have time flexibility. And then he's also self-employed as a farmer. So he also has that time flexibility. But I just don't know, like kudos and God bless to all of you parents who are working in a more structured environment where you have to like request time off and count your sick days and your PTO hours, because I don't know how you do that. That's so hard. And it's huge, especially in light of the pandemic and all of the quarantine and isolation guidelines. I think so often about like parents and moms in particular having to juggle all of these schedules. And I know how much of a stress and a strain it is on our family dynamics. And I I have that time freedom. And I just, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to have that time flexibility. So anyway, that's all my take on that first bullet point. Um, Another interesting statistic I found from the legaljobs.io report was that 62% of women business owners are between the ages of 40 and 59 years old. Around 80% of those women have college degrees. And this article attributed that to building and gathering experience. And that's what women a lot of times lean on before they decide to make that leap into entrepreneurship or small business ownership. Or that's the reason that this particular article is drawing anyway. And I agree with that to a point. Like I know that like as a young woman, 20, 25, 30 years old, I was probably uh, less sure of myself, even though sometimes I look right now and I'm like, gosh, I was very naive back then. And so I took chances that I wouldn't do right now. Um, But I do think that like I needed a little bit of experience and just kind of bolstering my own ego maybe and knowing that I had I could trust myself and trust my gut and have what it takes to like make a business. There's some, I should have looked up this statistic, but there's some study out there that talks about like when men are likely to apply for a job opening and when women are, men will apply and take a position 
when they are like 70 to 80% confident that they have the experience and the skills necessary to fill that job role. While women won't take that leap until they are a hundred percent sure. And which I think is really interesting. And that's what I kind of attribute this statistic to about women owned business owners, 62% of them being 40 to 59 years old. Cause I think that it takes a little bit of time not just to gather experience, but for us as women to feel confident in ourselves and in our own skills and aptitudes enough to say that, hey, you know what, I am worth it and I'm going to take this chance and I'm going to bet on myself. And I also hope that you as the listener draw some information from this statistic in that it's never the wrong time. Like, you know, when we're young, we might think it's the wrong time to start a business because maybe we're not financially sound or we don't have the time to dedicate to growing our expertise or growing a family or um, a host of other things, right? But even in our like more mature years of 40 to 59 years old, like we can always begin a business anytime. And so I hope that's what you draw from this. Like if you are a listener in that age bracket and you're considering taking that leap, like there's never a right time, but also it's always a good time to start your own business. Which, if that makes any sense, I don't know, but that would be my recommendation. Another statistic that I drew from the Legal Jobs article was that 88% of all women-owned businesses generate less than $100,000 yearly. Out of all women-led companies, there are only 4.2% that generate more than $1 million in annual revenue. Um, Growth in both employment and size of business will begin to take place for women-owned companies once their revenues increase. And this stuck out to me in particular because I do think that there is this, like in the earlier statistics that I shared with you, even though there's a large percentage of women-owned businesses out there, the employment numbers and the revenue percentages were way down. And I think that that goes hand in hand with this statistic about 88% of women-owned businesses generating less than $100,000 a year. Because once you are able to reach a certain threshold in your mind, I feel like it's more of a mental thing that like, okay, I need to seek out help. When I seek out help, then I can generate more revenue. But a lot of times, myself included, I, for the first few years of my business, was in this position of saying, once I reach this revenue, then I can employ. And so it can be like a circle effect where depending on how you look at it, you can say by hiring this person, I will be able to make more money, which then will drive revenue up and open up new opportunities. Or some of us think the opposite where it's like, I have to generate this amount of money before I can hire. And it really is kind of a hard balance to strike because when we're thinking about the cost of doing business, we can think about the person who we bring into our organization and how much we have to pay them, whether it's an hourly rate or a salary rate, full-time, part-time, independent contractor, W-2 employee. You can think like just straight up of that cost as how much you have to pay them to keep them on staff. But there are underlying costs associated. If you're willing to not hire and just keep things on your own plate, you will reach a ceiling or a cap. You might be saving money, but you are trading your time and your mental health and your stress levels. And 
it's something that I experienced personally. And it's something that I'm still going through as a business owner who's like journeying through this step. I have a team and at each hire that I've made so far, some of them have been like initiated by me where I'm like, oh shoot, I could use some help here. But I would say like most of my hires have been somebody saying, hey, Molly, I would love to work with you. Or I have this skill and I'm interested in working for you. So I'm like, okay, awesome, let's go. And so it's like taking a chance. And then I could see how much that opened up for me on my schedule and how much, especially when I had people who are really skill trained, like our most recent edition of Haley, who is a graphic designer, like she could bring in new clients who wanted logo design or graphic design or poster design or website design in ways that I couldn't offer. And by bringing her in, there is a cost associated with it. But in return, she's able to expand the number of businesses we can help, the ways that we can really offer high quality service, because I'm no graphic designer. And it really did like just create a ripple effect throughout the business because we were able to provide more and provide better for the people we help. And when I look at the statistic about women-owned businesses generating less than $100,000, I do feel like in my head, I did have this, and I still do to an extent, this idea like, I don't know if I can afford somebody full-time or part-time because I don't know if my annual revenue will allow for that. But also, if I'm willing to operate a little lean for an interim amount of time while I get a new employee trained and onboarded, then on the opposite end, once we're through that onboarding phase, my schedule is cleared up so I can take on new tasks and new clients and new opportunities. They're maintaining and offering high quality service that maybe I was letting balls drop because I was so busy and they can cover that. And we have happier clients with better customer service. So there's all of these like invisible benefits and intangible costs associated with doing it by yourself that can really be alleviated when you financially pay somebody else, but you have space on your own calendar. So when I look at that stat, I can totally see myself in that. But my encouragement to any listener out there who's caught also in that phase of like, I don't know if I can hire anybody because I don't know if I can afford them. I want you to look at your own schedule and what your tasks are and see if you're dropping balls places or see if there's opportunities you've had to say no to because of time constraints. That by even just bringing in somebody to outsource your bookkeeping or your emails or your marketing, Rather than bringing on somebody full-time or part-time, like, is there just an area of your business in your week-to-week or your month-to-month that you can outsource? And then give yourself some schedule freedom so you can try new things and grow your business so you can get beyond your revenue goals by bringing in new people. Uh, Another statistic I got from the LegalJobs.io report was that women are more likely to feel stressed about their business. Oh my gosh. Raise your hand if you have this feeling about your business. I am raising both of them. Um, Around 26% of women reported increased stress after starting their business, with nearly a third having nightmares about the venture failing. Statistics on women entrepreneurs show that women are less optimistic and less confident when it comes to sales growth, earnings per share, and the number of employees compared to their male counterparts. And 
just in conversation. <laughs> and this is again, just totally anecdotal on my end. I feel like it's backed up by this statistic from the legal jobs report. But um, yeah, I will say that I have my husband who is self-employed. They have a family business with the farm. And a lot of times when I am stressed about like a specific aspect of my business, I'll go talk to him and I'll be like, oh my gosh, what should I do? And then he invariably has a much like brighter, <laughs> a more optimistic outlook about it, I would say, because in his mind, he's like, I, he always tells me, Molly, you can always make more money. They make more of it. Or he'll be the one who encourages me to take that big risk. Like he'll remind me if you like employ this new person, what will that do for you? What will you be able to not work on? Or what will you be able to say yes to that you couldn't before? And I feel like he is just very optimistic and willing to take risks in ways that I am concerned about. And I don't know, I guess maybe I can attribute that to being a woman or if we just like are naturally like less sure or less confident about the, how things will work out. But I will say like surround yourself with men who are in business and listen to how they would do things. It doesn't mean you have to take their advice or seek out their advice for every decision you have to make. But I do say like talking to a man and getting their perspective about big business decisions does give me a different perspective than just being in my own head. And it like does encourage me to take bigger risks and gambles than I would if I didn't have that male perspective to turn to. So think like a man and just take the damn shot. <laughs> That's what I take from that point. Um, the last statistic that I want to share about women in business. And this is from a report um, by Visa. And I will link to these in the actual show notes. But I loved this statistic. Women continue to help other women. 65% of female small business owners know another small business owner. And 91% of those solicit advice from other female business owners. Now, I know that I've talked at length about the people that I've brought into this podcast and how I've learned from them. And how about being part of mastermind groups in coaching relationships and empower her have all really helped me learn and grow as a business owner. And I think it goes hand in hand with these statistics that I've been sharing. But like overall, like through my growth process, I have not been super confident in myself and my, my abilities. And so I do seek out support and guidance from other people in business or in these more structured coaching and mastermind opportunities like I shared. But through these relationships, I've learned that as a business owner, you'll never really be there. I use there with air quotes. There's always going to be new things you learn. There's always going to be changes to your market. And without having conversation with people, without like actively learning and seeking out ways to learn and get advice from others, you might be stunted in your own growth or worse, you begin to feel burnt out. Um, in 2021, I know that I was like, this is the year where I just focus on action. And I was less focused on learning. And I was more focused on just doing the damn thing in my business. And by the end of the year, I was doing a lot. And I had a lot of tasks on my plate. But I was also feeling burnt out because I was so close to what I was doing. I feel like I was just only a nose length away from what I was doing in the day to day. Then in 2022, at the end of 2021, and we began 2022, I was like, okay, I need to get perspective again and take a bird's eye view of what's happening. So then I can better navigate to where I ultimately want to go. And I can bring in 
more structure, more employees, more responsibilities, and more involvement from my current employees, and just like really do this the right way. Instead of micromanaging every aspect, I wanted to give more control to the people on my team. And like knowing I could do that by working with a CPA who is a female. My bookkeeper and accountant is a female and I seek answers from her. Uh, I have a business mastermind best friend, Lindsay at Chilled, and we Vox using the Voxer app nearly daily, if not daily, then it's weekly, just with ideas and how the other, seeking out how the other woman would handle this. And having those people to turn to and ask questions of is invaluable. And so I would say that like, if you are someone who is a woman in business, or if you are someone who is considering business, find that support system around you. And it can be as simple as just asking someone to pick their brain, or it could be more formal and structured and joining a mastermind or a learning group. But I will say much like my perspective from 2021 to 2022, when I knew I had to take that bird's eye view, I saw places where I needed to learn more and I needed to network more. And when I do that, it gives me motivation. It gives me inspiration about where we're going. I get more creative thoughts and ways to like solve problems and get through challenging situations. So I would say that hands down, the best thing you can do for your group is find that circle of female business owners who you can lean on and ask advice of because that's going to take you so far. You're going to learn so many new things and it's just going to keep you going in those times. And you will have those times where you are feeling burnt out and not sure what to do next. So now I alluded at the beginning of the episode about how we were going to talk about the state of women. And women isn't just workplace, right? As women, we are constantly like thinking about what's up next. So that might be what time do we have to pick up the kids from school? What are we out of in the pantry? What do we have coming up on the social calendar for the weekend? When is our uh, registration due for the SUV? You know, it could be any host of things. But as women, what I've noticed is that like I can't compartmentalize my thoughts very long before I'm thinking of the next thing on my list. And I know a lot of my female associates also have the same thing. And this is called the mental load. And according to healthline.com article, mental load comes in a variety of shapes and sizes, just like all of us have different lives and lifestyles and challenges and successes. Your mental load is carried differently woman to woman. So um, in this article, it highlighted a few situations of what a mental load might look like and how to offload that mental load. So it says that part of having and shouldering the mental load and the complications that that comes with is that as women, we are often the default in our household for a lot of these unscheduled and unmarked like, tasks. So this might be like if our partner in the household says like, well, why didn't you tell me that the floor needed to get swept? And then me as a woman, I'm like, because I don't want to have to tell you to do this task that like I could just do it and be done or I could tell you to do it. And I feel like that's directing. But as women, we might also be the ones who get reminders on bill payments. We might be the one who have to offer praise for getting chores done. We might have to keep track of like the parenting daily details, like where are the kids going after school? If there's an early out, who's picking them up? Who needs to sign the permission slip? When are the library books due? When is our next well child appointment at the pediatrician? 
Um, cleaning out closets. I'm like, my husband has never had to switch from like 2T to 3T or switch out from fall to spring seasonally because that's something that I just do. Checking in on emotional needs and our families, making to-do lists, grocery lists, ordering groceries, picking up groceries, chore charts, picking up and wrapping gifts for events, scheduling date nights, scheduling vacations, making sure that we have care for family, like if we are on vacation. Um, like, yeah, there's just so many things that are on our plates as women in the mental load. And this might include appointments. This might include childcare. This might include household duties and responsibilities. And I know that like as the mom or as the wife, like, yeah, there is a way to balance this. Um, you can just say, hey, I want to split the duties 50-50, right? And so then it's like, okay, well then tell me what I need to do. And then you're like, well, God damn it. Can't you just like see what needs to get done? And that can just be stressful in and of itself then to have to offload all of these tasks. So similar to bringing someone into a business and training them, it can feel like having to train, but you're training like the person you live with. (laughs) And I'm just not good at asking for help. Like, honestly, in the early years of our marriage, like if I'm being totally honest, I would just like suck it up and do the things that I didn't want to do. But I put on a big show about how pissed off I was about having to do it. Like I'd get quiet or I'd stomp my feet a little bit louder than I would as I like put away laundry. And now I am better about like saying, can you just sweep the floor? Like, (laughs) and being a little more direct and not like I attribute less emotional weight sometimes than I used to. And I also see, and I've had this conversation with my counselor before, like, in rural areas, especially in our rural area, like there is still a gender divide. And there is like, I find myself in this weird generational gap too, where like the generation before us who were farm wives, like they were still maybe the stay at home moms who brought food out to the field and like had dinner ready on the table. They shouldered a lot of the childcare and things like that. And then now we're also like in this generation where women who are farm wives work outside the home and maybe they do balance like still some of the getting the food to the field, childcare responsibilities, but they also have their own jobs. And then the generation coming after us is um, maybe a little bit more independent still. And right now the generation that I'm in, like it's just this weird in between of finding our place and finding our way through as this generational and gender shift curse. And this again is anecdotal. It's not saying this is representative of everybody. And there is also like, my story is different from your story. Maybe you prefer to be home with the kids. Maybe you prefer and get enjoyment out of bringing meals to the field for your farmer. Or maybe you love being the one to pick up and drop off the kids at school. I will say like, as someone who before I had kids looked at being mom, I was like, I would love to pick the kids up and drop them off at school. And now that I'm in it, I'm like, I wish Ryan would do the drop offs every morning because I get so stressed out by that. But there is just this mental load and there's the daily tasks and the daily schedule shifting that a lot of times in my area in particular, this could be different depending on where you're listening from. But a lot of that does fall on the shoulders of the woman in the household. So regardless of whether she's a business owner, whether she works full-time for a corporation, whether she's part-time or has a side hustle and is a stay-at-home mom, like a lot of the daily responsibilities of the family and household fall on the woman. And there is so much stress and added just 
complication of life that comes from that. And I just want to recognize that it's just hard, right? It's just hard. And I see you. I hear you. And I'm right next to you in saying that, God, adulthood is hard. And it's not always all it was cracked up to be. So I don't know what the point was that I was trying to make from that other than to just say like, the mental load is real. And it is something that there are studies about. And there are resources that you can have if it's feeling like unbearable. Um, In a couple weeks, we will sit down and actually chat with my counselor, Dr. Lauren Welter, and she'll have more tips and strategies about how to handle mental load and how to care for yourself mentally and physically. But she also, in our interview, talks about the importance of knowing that you can have supports outside of like a structured therapy or counseling setting. Like sometimes you just need to have that friend that you can call up and vent to or those weekly appointments with a lunch date. Or maybe you have those monthly times where you just like go get a massage. Or I know when I'm feeling especially stressed, sometimes I just need to get outside and go for a walk and I feel so much better. But it's knowing and recognizing in ourselves when we are reaching that point of like, I'm going to lose my shit. And having tools and strategies that we know make us feel better so that we can handle this load of work and family and household and mental load and know how to get through these seasons and these times of hardship. And that's something that we do, like it takes a while to get through that. And I know that over the last few years, I've been working a lot to recognize these cues and these triggers in my own self. And sometimes like just last night, I was feeling overstimulated at dinner. Like I had picked up the kids. We had to rush to music. During music for two kids, I had to rush the other kids to an orthodontist appointment across town. And then I had to rush back and get the kids picked up for music. And then we had to rush home and make dinner and take showers and get everything ready for school the next day. And I had a buttload of dishes and the kids talked through the whole thing. And I was like, I am just overstimulated. And I was grouchy and I was short. And I noticed that I was like not making eye contact with my family members. And when I do that, that's kind of my signal to myself. Like, okay, I'm starting to reach like maximum capacity. So while Ryan was like dishing up dinner for the kids, I went and just laid on my bed quietly and I didn't make an effort <laughs> to help. And former me probably would have just like been even more pissy and like made sure everybody knew how bad of a mood I was in as I was dishing up the meatloaf. But like current Molly recognizes some of these cues in myself when I'm feeling this way. And I know that I just need to go like breathe and calm down. And not to say that that like five minutes laying on my bed in the silence solved all the world's problems, but it did make me feel like I could reset and then I could go back to the family dinner and like join the conversation. Instead of just powering through, I took a few minutes for myself and then that got me through the night. I wasn't always like that. It has taken years to identify these triggers and to identify tools and coping mechanisms. And so just start, I would say like with cueing into your body, knowing like, how do you feel? Does your breath get short? Do you stop making eye contact like I do? Does your heart rate increase? Do you feel like tense in your muscles? And maybe there's other cues in other people too, but those are some of the things I've started to recognize in myself 
And then I have this like toolkit of ways that I can respond so that I can de-escalate myself and kind of ground myself. And I know that there's a lot of work I have to do in those like tools and grounding activities, but there's a start anyway. So I would recognize those. And then what can we do in small towns to help support women in our communities? I would say having these social circles of women who they can lean on one another, they can talk to one another, they can support one another in times of like, I don't know, I just feel like 20s, 30s, 40s, like we just need circles of women who could say, I've been there and this is what I did, whether it's business or personal. I also think that having childcare resources does a lot for our community. And I feel like it's a very undersung essential service that our communities need to have. Whether it's in-home childcare or daycare center, it's all childcare access seems to be lacking right now, not in quality, but just in quantity. I just feel like there's less and less options for childcare. And thankfully in our family, we've been blessed that we have uh, flexibility for a lot of women in our family and they can help when childcare is needed. But I know that there's a lot of people who don't. But I think that as communities, we need to really recognize that if we want women to thrive, if we want women to have mental stability, if we want women to grow businesses that can bring in revenue and employment, then we have to have childcare for parents that is reliable and that is quality for these kids because it's not just a family by family need, it's a societal need. And in small towns, we can really really support our people better if we have quality daycare options. Again, some of the things that um, are business related that we can do to support women are to, like as employers, like recognize that women might need time flexibility or location flexibility, especially after the pandemic. Like it's been more and more important to have remote working access, but there is a fine line to having remote working access and saying you have time flexibility versus actually having time flexibility because that line can get blurred where emails get sent at 9 9 p.m. and expect a response. So I think we do need to be flexible while also maintaining boundaries and space so that women in particular can have some time freedom and some schedule clarity so they can focus and not have that huge mental burden on their plates. And lastly, just being good friends and good like neighbors in our communities and offering support to women when we see that they could use a little extra support. This might look like bringing a dinner to a family member that you know is going through a hard time. It might look like sending a card. It might look like one of my favorites is um, a brand called Smack Packs out of Cedar Falls, Iowa. Uh, I know I've said this in the past and people have misheard me as Snack Packs, not the pudding, Smack Packs. They're just these little cards that are like two inches by two inches. They have uplifting and um, motivating sayings. And you can just put them underneath someone's windshield wiper or put it in a public space for someone to find. And then it can just brighten their day. And I think the more we can do that and just be good neighbors and friends, the better off we will see our women in our small town. Okay, so I intend, I did not intend for this episode to be nearly this long, but apparently I had a lot to say about the state of women in 2022. So. Again, I can't say this enough. This is just my anecdotal experience. I did a little bit of Google research. 
Uh, I am not an expert on the status of women at this time in our history, but these are just my hot takes. <laughs> and I did support myself with a little bit of research. But let me know what you think. Um, I could be totally off base and solely just like sharing my story and thinking that's the way of the world. Or I do feel like there's a lot of women feeling like this too. And again, as we go through the rest of the month, we will have guests on each week who have just amazing stories. And they're just women that I really admire and look up to. And like shameless plug, I just wanted to have them on my podcast because they're freaking awesome. So you will have some options coming up to listen into stories of incredible women who I really think are amazing because they operate great businesses. They just are fantastic people or they have stories that I think are motivating and inspiring. So anyway, this was way longer than I intended, but all this to say, happy National Women's History Month. And if you are someone who is looking for support or you're looking for that circle to lift you up, reach out. And I'd love to connect you with the people and the organizations and the networks that I think will support you best. So have a great day. Have a great month. And let me know what you think of this episode and our future episodes with a review on iTunes or Spotify. I would be forever grateful. All right. I'll be back next week with more. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well lived being small minded.